Welcome to the Women Governance Gurus podcast, where we listen to the journeys of women working in the field of corporate governance, their passions, struggles, and commitment to improving how companies and boards function. My name is Courtney Camlet, and today I am super excited to be interviewing my co-host, Liz Dunshee. We are both passionate about governance and want to spotlight some of the amazing women who share that passion. Learn why we created this podcast and Liz's path to becoming managing editor of thecorporatecouncil.net. Congrats, Liz, on this new role. Thank you. It's exciting. Happy to be here today. And I'm happy to be interviewing you in the hot seat. <laughs> Excellent. Could you tell us about your path to becoming managing editor of thecorporatecouncil.net? Sure. I'm actually going to take you with me in the Wayback Machine because I personally love hearing people's backstories during our podcasts. So, so do I. <laughs> uh, I think my favorite so far was the fudge story. I think that was from Stacy. It was. That that was a really interesting. I didn't realize how much of an entrepreneur yeah. she was, so you learn something all yeah, the time. Yeah, it's really great. So for me, growing up, my dad owned a small business where I worked, and my mom was an auditor. So Despite a short-lived desire to go into graphic design, I pretty much always assumed that I would end up in the corporate field. And I was drawn to the legal aspect of that in college when I took a law and economics class. In that class and in a lot of my other classes, we did actually talk a lot about Milton Friedman, which has been really interesting to think back on in recent months with the conversation about shareholder primacy because he's kind of credited with coming up with that theory. Then as a law student, I spent my first summer at a boutique firm that handled all of the public reporting and board matters for its clients. And I kind of geeked out about that and wanted to keep doing it. But I wanted to be a, a little bit larger firm with more diverse clients and work. So I was drawn to kind of the mid-sized firm model because I felt I could have that, but also have more influence over my career path than what I might get at a huge firm. And the culture and compensation model at Fredrickson, which is where I ended up, really clicked with me. So I ended up practicing there for about 11 years. I started practicing just a few years after Sarbanes-Oxley was enacted and right when the options backdating scandal was breaking. So all of that entailed a lot of public reporting and corporate governance work. And it was exciting to be learning that alongside really smart people who'd been practicing for many years and had a lot of ideas. And then that was also the same time that the SEC finalized the item 402 executive compensation rulemaking. And I think there's something to be said, uh, even if you're pretty junior, there are benefits about coming in with a fresh slate when there's a major overhaul like that. Because I think in some ways it was easier for me to retain and make sense of those requirements than it was for some people who were viewing it as a big change to what they were accustomed to doing. So I also became one of the go-to people at our firm for executive compensation disclosure and compensation committee governance. All that to say, I was pretty lucky to get a good foothold in this area as I was starting out. Yeah, because that is a super tricky area, but yeah. one that is um, very important. And I agree with you that coming in fresh is definitely sometimes very helpful. Yeah, I mean, if you've been doing this for 20 years and they completely changed the rules, it's, I understand that it's a bit exhausting to have to go through and relearn all of those things. So I understand why it played out that way. It was good for me. I met Brock through the ABA many years ago. And like most people in our field, I was very reliant on the corporatecouncil.net 
as well as CompensationStandards.com, Section16.net, and DealLawyers.com. And Courtney, I know you've known Brock forever. To me, he was and is so impressive for creating so many resources and really helping to make securities law accessible to so many people across the country. Yeah, his energy is 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 boundless, yeah. which is, I think, part of why he was able to do so well with all of those forms. Yeah, it's incredible. So yeah. we kept in touch, and I was on the advisory board for the sites for quite a long time. And I started attending the Women's 100 events. Um, when Brock started doing those, I came to the first one. And I think I came to all of the subsequent ones, except I might have missed one. So those were always my favorite. I think that's where we first met, actually, was the very yeah. first Women's yeah, 100 event. Yeah, probably. That was the first conference I'd ever attended where it had a women focus. And Brock wasn't even in the room very often just to kick it off, yeah. and then he left. But I... The content has always been great, and the focus, I think, is amazing. Yeah, I love it. They're such fun events. The size of the event is really nice for encouraging interaction with people, and I always felt like I walked away with some good practical nuggets uh, and also with some new connections, and so it was, it was really just perfect. I loved them. A few years ago, he sort of out, out of the blue, he asked me to come on board as an editor with the idea that I'd train with him and gradually step into his leadership role. I wasn't expecting that, and I had mixed feelings about leaving my firm because I really liked it. But I felt like this was just such a unique opportunity to come on board with Brock and to learn from him and to be the one of the people who was putting out all of this information to people in our community. As a close friend pointed out, it was also a chance to go out of my comfort zone. And I think I was just at the right point in my life to want to do that. Um, but then at the same time, I felt like I could capitalize on the things that I really enjoyed doing, like staying up to date and being a go-to resource for the latest developments and practice trends, as well as writing and building community. I was already doing a lot of that stuff in my firm, both internally and externally, but it was non-billable work, of course. And so um, sometimes it didn't get as much attention as I wanted to devote to it. I'd also been very involved at the firm, too, with building our knowledge and practice management initiatives to anticipate the way in which clients needed us to deliver our work. And I feel like that background has been really helpful in this role. So I've now been at the Corporate Council and, uh, and the related sites for about three years now, and uh, it's been really wonderful. That's fabulous. Thank you. Has there been anything that has surprised you as you've progressed in your career from mid-sized law firm to now running and being the managing editor of all of these very informative sites? I will echo one thing that many of our guests have said, and that one positive surprise is how willing people in our community are to help each other and share their knowledge. It's really a gift to be able to hear from people on the front lines about how they're handling tough situations and also how they've advanced in their careers. On our sites, we have monthly webcasts about current topics, and I know when I was practicing, I always felt that the transcripts for those were some of the most valuable resources. So I've continued to appreciate that, and maybe even more so in my current role. On a less positive note, 
I do think that the lack of C-suite and director diversity in the business world can have real ramifications for people looking to move up the corporate ladder, as well as service providers who need to bring in business to be successful. Perhaps naively, it's been a little surprising to me to see how that plays out. I've been encouraged during the last few years to hear people acknowledging that more and trying to be more intentional about overcoming unconscious bias in promotion and hiring decisions. And then from a substantive standpoint, I'll just echo many of our guests too in saying that the explosion of corporate governance, ESG, and sustainability, I think those topics have always been in the background, but the huge focus on them lately and the fact that I feel like I'm now blogging daily about something in that area, um, that's been a little surprising as well. It, it really has been, and it's put a focus on this corporate governance industry more so than it ever was before. Yes, yeah, so in that way, it's very exciting. It is, and it definitely gives you a lot to work with. Yes, exactly. There's there's plenty of stuff to blog about. So you mentioned earlier your desire to be a go-to resource, and you aggregate a lot of data daily in order to produce the blog, the webcasts, and relevant articles, as well as a stream of knowledge-sharing podcasts with differing participants. How do you do it? Well, for this particular podcast series, <clears throat> the credit goes to you, Courtney, for thinking of it and reaching out to me. And so I really appreciate that. And it's been such a fantastic way to hear more from women who I would honestly think of as corporate governance gurus. So thank you for involving me in this. Absolutely. For our sites and events, First, I'd say we have an amazing team of really smart and committed people with John Jenkins, Ellen Dye, Dave Lynn, Lynn Jokola, Mike Melbinger, Mark Borges, and others. It's key that we all enjoy doing this and get energy from sharing information and helping people because it is actually a lot to stay on top of. Then beyond that, I would say that our community is really what makes it work because so many people contribute from speakers at our conferences, to members who respond to questions or send resources for the trove of information on our sites. And one of my favorite things is when a member who's encountered an issue in practice or whose company has provided some form of novel reporting or some interesting approach to something sends me a practical recap about that, which I can then share with others. Sometimes that comes from people I know well, and other times it's someone I've never met in person but it's always appreciated. And we also see that type of information sharing on our Q&A forums from time to time. And it's really interesting to see which topics generate responses. And then sometimes people also send me suggestions for our sites or conferences, which again, are always welcome because I'm always looking for ways to improve. I think all of that has also given me a new perspective on how information is distributed. There's just so much out there, and I think we're all experiencing that over the past few years with just this explosion of social media and all of these different news resources, and it's really meaningful to me, but also I recognize a lot of responsibility to be a resource that people trust and rely on. This is a really fun job, but I do take that part very seriously, and with everything we put out there, including the blogs, but also things like our handbooks and checklists, we try to be really careful in how we present things to highlight when something's important, but also not overstate it, and to be mindful of different perspectives on the issues that arise. 
And of course, to be practical, not everything is relevant to everyone, but we're pretty deliberate about having a staff of people who know what they're talking about because they've actually done the work and then cutting through the extra fluff so that we can give people information and practice pointers that are actually useful. Yeah, and I think that's something, the practicality aspect, when you're in-house and you're asking for advice, you don't necessarily want the most conservative approach. You want what's practical, right? which may be a teeny bit more risky, but you know every company is different and the risk tolerances are different. Right. And I know the exec comp handbook for me has been amazing Good. over the Good. years as a resource. I'm very happy to hear that. Yeah, I, I used that a ton too when I was practicing and now, of course, I'm intimately involved with it, <laughs> so I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, well, and 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 the corporatecouncil.net and the related sites are are a great resource because they're targeted, and you know which site to go to for sort of what you're looking for. Like section16.net is very specific, but also very helpful. Right. Um, in this day and age, with the form fours and threes getting way right. more complicated, and with the attention on ownership and transactions. Absolutely. I mean, these get aggregated and reported out instantaneously and, and employees are paying attention and seeing when the C-suite trades, you know, if there's a blackout, why can't we? And 10B51 plans and things like that. But it's definitely gotten a lot more attention over the years as well. Yeah. And Alan's so amazing. So amazing. And, and so one of the things is with all of the online formats, how do you keep the culture between the, the different sites? Well, there is some overlap between the sites. So there are times when a resource will be posted on more than one site or we'll use a blog topic on more than one site. But you're right that it's fairly rare that we do that and we do try to keep them pretty separate. I think it just comes down to understanding the audience for each of the sites and who the members are and what they'll be looking for and then kind of trying to figure out where the information will be the most helpful. But it's not an exact science, and it is a little bit difficult, kind of a head-scratcher from time to time. I think you do a great job of understanding the various audiences. Thank you. So how do you stay on top of governance trends? I am signed up for approximately a million distribution lists. Wow, that's a lot. That's an exaggeration, but that's what it feels like. Uh, My inbox is always pretty full, but I try to get through it every single day and get it down to zero new messages. So that's one way. And then I also watch LinkedIn and Twitter, keep my ears open at conferences and in conversations with people in our community. And again, really appreciate the people who take the time to alert me to things that they've found interesting or that they've encountered. That's probably the most helpful resource because even sometimes if I find something interesting, I'm not 100% sure if it's relevant to other people who are out there practicing. So it's always helpful for somebody to send something, even if I've already seen it. So what I've deduced is that you are a vociferous reader. <laughs> I do enjoy that. And you're incredibly and you're incredibly organized if you can get your inbox down to zero new messages at the end of the day. That's what I strive for as well. It usually happens. Uh, I will say that in my old job, I was not as good about keeping my inbox cleaned out. And it was kind of a lesson and an opportunity for a new start when I switched over. (laughs) Yeah. And working at a global company, your inbox really never goes to sleep anymore. I I go to bed and, you know, 
APAC is active, and then you've got the UK that's ahead of us. So it's uh, it's always interesting what you wake up to. That sounds very challenging. Yeah, also very interesting and fun. Yes. All right, so Liz, I'm going to ask you the seminal question that we've asked everyone else on this podcast. What do you think women in the corporate governance field can add to the current conversation on the societal role of companies? I'll preface this by saying hashtag not all women and not all men, but I do think that generally speaking, Many women have realized the impact of unconscious bias on their own opportunities or even, unfortunately, experienced outright discrimination or harassment. And, of course, everyone still has blind spots, myself included, obviously. But I do think that those experiences position women to be more aware of the value of getting diverse points of view for corporate strategies, decisions, and policies. And then also being able to recognize the high-level strategic or policy decisions, as well as how those things are communicated, can have a big ripple effect on the stakeholders who are tied to the company, as well as the company's bottom-line success. Especially with the outrage that can seemingly come out of nowhere these days on social media and affect a company's reputation, I do think that women can add a perspective or be able to recognize the value of bringing in other diverse viewpoints that can hopefully alleviate some of those types of risks. I would say, though, with the caveat that they feel empowered to speak out about their own opinions or views. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Thanks. Well, thank you for letting me interview you today. My pleasure. It was fun. It has been great doing this series with you. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this episode of Women Governance Gurus. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts, and we would appreciate it if you would rate us.